It's the Quotidian. It's episode 24 with Mike Hannes. Welcome back to the Quotidian Podcast. I'm Bradley Dennis. My guest today is the executive coach, Mike Hannes. Before his career in leadership coaching, Mike was the head of school at the Carolina Friends School in Durham, North Carolina, and the San Francisco Friends School. He's thrived in education since 1985. He received his master's in administration, planning, and social policy from the Harvard Graduate School of Education, and most recently earned his certification at the Berkeley Executive Coaching Institute. Mike began his coaching practice called Furthering Leadership in 2018, emphasizing conflict resolution and consilience in his work with individuals and teams. And as the Quotidian podcast begins to turn towards the learning, coaching, and leadership space, I was particularly curious to hear his thoughts on post-COVID leadership trends, how his Quaker pedagogy intersects with his practice, and what is most needed and requested from his clients. We spoke about these topics, as well as what Mike's work has in common with Ken Kesey and the Merry Pranksters. Mike is a thoughtful, earnest, and compassionate leader to whom I look to as an example of holding space for meaningful and inclusive cultural transformations. It was a pleasure speaking with him. The Quotidian Podcast is produced by Carolina Commons, whose mission it is to help individuals, teams, and communities engage their creative energies for personal and professional growth. To learn more about how we can help you and your organization, visit www.carolinacommons.org. And now, prepare to engage with the spacious, generous, and inquisitive intellect of Mr. Mike Hannes. Very informal, but I want to welcome you to the show. Thank you for being here. And it's great to see you again. Thank you. Thanks for the warm welcome. It's great yeah. to see you too. It's great to be here. Yeah. Awesome. Well, I know we were just talking a little bit about coaching and uh, I know you primarily as the head of school at the Carolina Friends School, which you were for 20 years? I was the head of school for 13 years. 13. I was the head of the upper school for three years before that. So okay. six, 16, 16 years in total. total at CFS. And then you, when you left in 2016, you went to another Friends School as head of school, as I recall. I did. San Francisco Friends School yeah. in San Francisco, California. And how long were you there? was there for six years. Uh -huh. And then what happened? Well, uh, what happened uh, really begins um, before the then to uh -huh. which you refer. 
about two years into my time uh, at San Francisco Friends School, I noticed how much I was loving the city, mm-hmm. uh, loving uh, a lot about the adventure my wife Sue and I were enjoying, um, but not uh, loving the work as yeah. much as I had and as much as I thought I would. I loved the people I was working with, um, terrific professional community, terrific parents, terrific board of trustees. Uh, but the bottom line for me was that the work was very familiar. And mm. um, as you know, Bradley, I'm about six feet, five inches tall. <laughs> and for the past 20 years, I've been introducing myself in most public settings as Carolina Friends Schools or San Francisco Friends Schools' tallest student right. who happened to have some administrative responsibilities as the, as the head of school. Mm-hmm. And um, audience members would usually smile or laugh, and I suspect not have any idea just how much I meant you it. You meant that seriously. Yeah. I love to learn. Mm-hmm. It may be the only thing I'm any good at. Um, hmm. And I wasn't learning anything new. So I had plenty of work to do, plenty of meetings to attend, plenty of um, uh, challenges and opportunities to be engaged with, but the vast majority of what I was doing was quite familiar. So the growth had stopped. That's it. Yeah. And my appetite for it had not. Mm -hmm. So I started um, wondering, well, first of all, I think I realized uh, it was highly unlikely that what I had thought might be a eight or 10 or 12 year commitment or longer wasn't going to be. Yeah. And it was time to start um, imagining a next chapter. Right. Uh, In short, I started, I paid particularly close attention to what I was still enjoying. Um, It was... um, organizational dynamics. Mm -hmm. Um, It was um, systems-related work, and it was furthering the leadership of other people, um, formally or informally, serving as a a mentor or an advisor or Mm -hmm. just a trusted friend. Uh, That led me to look at um, different programs, PhD programs, um, master's degree programs, and eventually I decided to focus on leadership development and found my way to uh, Berkeley's um, uh, executive coaching program. and I, um, I enrolled in the program, applied, was accepted, enrolled in the program, had a fabulous experience, uh, at the end of which, in May 2019, I essentially started a small practice mm-hmm. that I have uh, had in place since then, and that became my bridge, mm-hmm. uh, the bridge between my, the end of my tenure at San Francisco Friends School in June, end of June 2022, mm-hmm. uh, into this chapter um, I'm in now. My what I refer to as my liminal rewirement. Yeah, that's a a, a good definition for what the liminal <laughs> actually means. That's that right. transition, that space between. Yeah, that's yeah. wonderful. Yeah. I, I'm also entering the coaching space, and so that's one area of particular interest for me to talk to you about. Mm-hmm. And as the show focuses on creative energies and sort of the creative capacity we have for learning, growing, moving into to new things as different ways of seeing the world. I'm really curious to hear you talk about, number one, why coaching in particular is important to you and what perspectives you offer to leadership in particular or what maybe what you find most satisfying about that exchange or that, um, that experience. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, in answer to your first question, why is it important to me? I think in large part, it's a result of my confronting my own um, ambition and maybe even ego, Bradley. Mm. Um, 
there was a time in my life when I thought of ambition as a dirty word, mm -hmm. um, when I equated it with the equivalent of um, climbing the corporate ladder and yeah. um, leaving people in the dust behind, behind me. And uh, a mentor, um, now some 30 years ago, 25, 30 years ago, helped me appreciate that there are different forms of ambition, um, mm -hmm. one of which might be playing the most meaningful role that you can in the communities of which you're part. Right. Whether you're a family or a school or a organiza larger organization. And what could be finer than that kind of ambition? Right. So I... Um, so why, why the work is important to me is because at this stage of my life, I've um, been extraordinarily lucky, privileged in countless ways. Mm -hmm. And um, I want to put that to use. Uh, what, um, what I've learned, what I've experienced, what I might have to offer. Mm -hmm. And I want to do it without having to be the front face of um, an organization. Mm -hmm. Let's face it, I'm an old white guy. We're fast becoming an old white guy, and mm -hmm. it's time for people like me to uh, find ways, again, to put, our priv to my, put my um, privileges, my opportunities, my, what I've enjoyed to use, um, furthering the leadership of others. Yeah. That's what led to the title, the current title of my practice, which I call Furthering Leadership. Mm. Um, um, so that's why I do it. Um, that's why I think coaching, coaching is important. It affords me an opportunity to potentially... Um, support the efforts of people who are extending themselves. Mm -hmm. um, it's a great gift. Mm -hmm. The answer to your, my answer to your second question um, essentially is the gift. Um, mm -hmm. I uh, I've learned a lot about um, the differences between mentoring and advising and trusted friendship um, and coaching, uh, in large part through my experience at Berkeley. Mm -hmm. um, and then um, through my experience with clients. And um, what I've learned is about the possibility of, um, well, I've learned about the difference between addressing technical problems and adaptive problems. Mm -hmm. uh, technical problems uh, that you or I or any one of us might have a, an immediate solution to. Um, here's how you fix that. Yeah. Here's what, what you should do in this situation. And the adaptive problems, which don't lend themselves to um, easy solutions. Right. They require some unpacking of um, context, uh, identity, um, uh, and employment of some knowledge, some skills, uh, mm -hmm. all of which may culminate, ideally culminates in um, change for a client, mm -hmm. growth, um, a capacity she or he or they didn't realize they had before. Right. Um, that's about as good as it gets when that happens. Yes, <laughs> it is. And has that been your experience since you started coaching? Have you found? Yes and no. Yeah. Um, probably more often no, mm -hmm. or not yet. Mm -hmm. um, and yes, uh, from time to time. The, um, what I have found is that the work unfolds in different ways, uh, de depending on the client depending on what I bring to the, to the work. Um, mm -hmm. uh, you might be interested to know, if you don't already, Bradley, the Berkeley program was founded by um, a man, Mark Rittenberg, whose background is in theater. I did um, not know that. And the um, pedagogy um, Berkeley um, that animates the Berkeley approach is theater-based, um, wow. presence-based. Um, so there is a 
considerable amount of attention paid to the the pre qualities of presence, mm -hmm. presence, the aspects of presence we bring to our work as executive coaches. Yeah, um, in that in that program in particular. Mm -hmm. Is there any link between uh, his work and Berkeley and uh, Strozzi, Richard Strozzi, down in, where is that? I want to say that's in, it's not in Santa Barbara, but also in California somewhere. I don't know of a more specific link than mm. references to Richard's work. Okay. Um, so at least in um, referring to potential resources to which we might turn. Yeah. Um, books to read, podcasts to listen to, those kinds of things. Gotcha. Um, that's a name I recognize having mm -hmm. come, remember, remember having come up in, in the context of the Berkeley experience. I, the last interview that I did was with a coach uh, out of Europe whose name is Nicholas Yanni. And his work is similarly theater-based and presence-based. Mm -hmm. and, and then, of course, my training also in yeah. the presence-based coaching uh, pedagogy and i'm noticing a, a real shift in the coaching space from moving from more the advisory sort of this is how you the nuts and bolts of how you fix these problems mm -hmm. to the the holding space which almost in my mind seems more like a therapeutic mm -hmm. space that is being held it's about as close as you get to to that boundary without needing a clinical <laughs> license mm -hmm. yeah um it, what's your experience been in that regard yeah very similar yeah. and my as a result my understanding has evolved uh, my introduction to coaching to formal uh introduction to executive coaching uh included the possibility of or the aspiration of employing a pretty strict line Mm -hmm. between um coaching and advising yeah. certainly between coaching and therapy my um learning since then uh, through reading uh, and through experience working with clients is that that line is a little bit more blurry those lines are less clear yeah um uh, a client for instance short of therapy a client will um not infrequently ask me for advice <clears throat> mike what would you do in mm -hmm. this case um and uh, what I have learned is um, how not to necessarily answer that question immediately as yeah. asked. Um, <laughs> the temptation is strong. It though, sure it? is. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think one, that's one of the, you, you just spoke to one of the most um, interesting aspects of this from a kind of meta um, vantage point, um, noticing in yourself what you're, what you're inclined to do, what you're, mm -hmm. um, you noticing your ego uh no i i'll speak for myself noticing my ego rise in relationships and my sense that well i know the answer to that question or i have an answer that mm -hmm. probably would solve this for you a lot more quickly than you are bucko right um right and uh and you can be cognizant of that uh you can resist that temptation or i find that i think at least some of the time mm -hmm. i hope i can resist that temptation and instead um find my way to the question that makes possible at least that uh, the answer you have to it which quite frankly might be a hell of a lot better than mine um you'll you and i will find a way for you to bring out 
And certainly a more nuanced perspective, yeah. infinitely. <laughs> yes. Um, and yeah. the one that benefits from ownership, right? Yes. From you, it being yours. Yeah. Yeah. Now, that said, what I've, again, what I've learned is that um, that doesn't mean there isn't a point at which I can share what my perspective is. Mm -hmm. I'll say in response to the question, Mike, what would you do? I'll answer that, Bradley. Mm -hmm. I promise. Um, first, can I ask you another question or two? Right. And then we'll probe the possibilities in you or from within you. Mm -hmm. And eventually, um, I'll ask, do you still want to hear what I think or what I would have done in that case? Mm -hmm. um, it's okay if you don't. Um, the invitation seems particularly important. Mm -hmm. The rather than the assumption, like you're saying, that ego-based assumption that I have an expertise that I dispense, mm -hmm. as opposed to you're coming into the space which we're creating here, and uh, and I was particularly encouraged to hear you talk about, you know, as we are aging white guys making a space for. Mm -hmm. everyone mm -hmm. to have that experience and to have that ability to bring their perspectives their talents their what they're bringing to the table forward yeah and that that we're sort of evulsing that as opposed to instructing or advising mm -hmm. so that's that also strikes me that you know the conversation that i had with uh, nicholas he just wrote a book called leader is healer mm -hmm. and a, a big portion of what he's doing is working with leadership in the same way as instead of you know this also kind of points to simon sinek's work about leaders eat last and the sense of what what the leader does is not an autocrat or a mm -hmm. dictatorship it really is a demonstration and so if you're wanting your employees your other leaders to thrive it's a support and mm -hmm what you're describing is demonstrating exactly that paradigm to me yeah i'm not ready to claim for myself um a descriptor like healer mm -hmm. and i'm willing to uh, admit this a great deal of my work in particular over the last two years as informed by pandemic circumstances i would categorize as repair mm. um uh ceos um heads of school um uh board chairs uh asking me to work with a team um of which they are part or um which they lead mm -hmm. that has um lost its way as a collective enterprise mm -hmm. as um as a team um that's been damaged by what's been asked of it um yeah. in response to pandemic circumstances and they um what they seek is a kind of repair a reestablishment of some trust um uh, an untying of a loosening of, of a knotty yeah. uh, situation um, to make to eventually make some room for um, consideration of what might come next that yeah. they might look forward to. But mm -hmm. there are people are digging their way out of holes in many cases. Yeah, the the landscape has shifted considerably. Mm -hmm. I'm less familiar with that professionally than I am educationally, mm -hmm. and knowing. You know, I mean, we took our kids out of school pretty much right as the pandemic started once we saw what online learning mm -hmm. looked like mm -hmm. um, and i imagine that that was repeated mm -hmm. quite a few times around the country yeah i'm curious to hear you talk about a couple things in regards to leadership one is from your perspective what you are seeing as maybe the 
the, the crucial aspects that you hope to address around leadership with your coaching practice as either opposed to or compared to what you're finding people are actually asking for mm. in terms of either direction or what their the issues are that they bring up. Um, well, let me um, try to take those that question in its two parts, though they, I might do a little bit of blending my in my response. Uh, I'll start with the latter, uh, as at least I've understood your question. I, I uh, often find, more often than not, I am finding that the subject, the topic, um, or at least identified topics that bring someone into a coaching relationship with me to explore coaching, to um, pursue a co discovery conversation with me and decide, all right, let's work together, mm -hmm. um, pretty quickly uh, turn out not to be what we're spending most of our time on. Interesting. Um, so it's it might the the what brings a client to me might be uh, the indication from that client's board that um, she or he or they uh, are are um, happen to be doing great back office work, but not um, nearly as strong relational work. The community wants more. The mm -hmm. team wants more. The community wants more visibility, more warmth, more um, interpersonal connection. Um, and um, that creates some interesting uh, work opportunities that uh, allow me to speak to some of my own focus, um, mm -hmm. I, th I think, which is how I'm understanding, how I'm wanting to respond to the first part of your question. Uh, I'm, I employ a building on strength approach generally. Um, so uh, I reject the notion that um, someone who uh, spends occupies more of his or her or their time on the introverted end of that spectrum, introverted extrovert spectrum, um, needs to become an extrovert. Um, right. uh, and instead, um, uh, what I try to do with a client who might identify that way uh, is identify the ways in which, um, even as an identified introvert, she or he or they, uh, establish connection, establish relationship, and how to, um, how to, uh, shape create the conditions wherein again without being some becoming someone else mm -hmm. uh, that individual might employ those gifts those um, Patrick Lencioni might say geniuses yes. um, brought to life um, again uh, authentically true to herself mm -hmm. true to himself to themselves um, so that's uh, that's uh, one of my favorite um, approaches to the work I use a couple of different models um, to bring that to life. There's a um, approach that, that was developed by the Ross School of Business mm -hmm. uh, at the University of Michigan uh, called the um, Reflected Best Self Exercise. RBSE is the acronym. Um, uh, I've used this with individuals and with teams. Uh, and um, it essentially involves um, inviting an individual or members of a team, uh, inviting uh, others who have observed them doing their work uh, to describe um, them at their best. Mm -hmm. So if we did an RBSC, if you pursued an RBSC, Bradley, you and I, in a coaching relationship, you and I might identify five, seven, 10, 12 people mm -hmm. whom you uh, believe have um, enough experience of you to have seen you thriving, mm -hmm. operating on all cylinders. 
and um, we'd work together uh, to create a invitation, a request for you from you reaching out to those individuals, asking them to share one or two stories, specific illustrations of you operating at your best. Mm -hmm. You then um, get to you get receive those. Wow! And get to read them, and delight in them, yeah. and savor them. And you and your coach, me or otherwise, I or otherwise, um, uh, start to identify the themes, the patterns, mm -hmm. and even more specifically, the, uh, the conditions that seem to create, that optimize for you bringing those, um, bringing those patterns to life, um, for bringing the traits that uh, um, evoke you at your best, mm -hmm. uh, manifest you at your best um, to life as often as possible. I've lost I've lost my train of thought a bit and I'm failing to remember that second part of your question with which I well, started I mean it's really that's fascinating work I'm sorry I have more questions about that but the the I thought you've addressed a lot of the question which is you know what the difference is either between what it is that you think of <clears throat> yeah as leadership needs and what people are bringing and you you, know, you addressed that when people come it's often an institutional mm. Yeah. Missive saying these are things you need to work on. Yeah. But then that morphs into something else. You've jagged my memory. Thank you. Yeah. What it morphs into very, very often is discernment. Yeah. Am I doing what I want to do where I want to do it? Mm. Am I get to what extent am I getting to be myself and my maybe my best self, mm -hmm. maybe even my emerging self in this context. I'm hearing a bit of a Quaker pedagogy creep in. <laughs> Probably. But as the, a result I of, mean, discernment yeah. and sort of that sitting in the question and letting yeah. things reveal, the truth reveal itself is, yeah. uh, I, I often play my Quaker cards pretty close to the chest, mostly because people are confused about what that is. But when you get right down to it, that's what it is. It's, yeah. it's that... It's that discernment and letting that truth be continually revealed. And that's, mm -hmm. that's a really lovely way. Curious to so be being, being quiet enough to let that still small voice yes. in you speak. And that's a, I've found a marvelous way of coaching. If one can sit on the ego long enough to let the space generate its own answers, then, and even, you know, even the, the client mm -hmm. who oftentimes is, less comfortable with silence than they may like or let on from that waiting mm -hmm. comes comes a lot of that yeah. revealing i'm curious to sidetrack just a little bit on on this methodology what are people's responses when they receive that feedback when they receive their peers um the full range of uh, human emotional responses as yeah. you can perhaps imagine um i did the i um and I'll speak personally to mm -hmm. this uh, before employing it with any clients you did or yourself. teams. I did it myself. And it's the single most meaningful, profoundly meaningful source of feedback, mm. uh, if that's not too crass a term for it in this case, um, that I've ever experienced. Uh, and so move, profoundly moving 
and revealing. Mm-hmm. Um, it led my participation in the RBSC, my receipt of the feedback, my um, distilling it with my coach uh, at the time led me to create a, a collection of um, seven um, mant- called the mantras, reminders um, that I uh, have ever since then had um, posted uh, on my desktop uh, so that uh, I can always at any given time return to them and did. If you ask me how I survived the pandemic circumstances leading a school community at the time, one part of my answer was by um, reminding myself whenever I needed to, to return to that, um, to those things I learned from my RBSE that restore me to um, a better, if not best self. They sound, I mean, it sounds very affirming. Yes. How much of it was surprise or new information? What less um, of it was purely new than um, more um, meaningfully and accessibly framed. I think um, mm. it it provided um, language for things I knew or, or sensed. Um, it made more oper- more readily operational, um, putting the, putting the, what I might have known to use. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, so it was, uh, the stories, in some cases, the stories, um, my feedback providers told, um, uh, surprised me for the way they were, for what they were witnessing, the details they were attending to, or mm-hmm. what they found, what moved them, yeah. what something I might have said or done that actually had an effect on them. Um, in those ways, some of the content that at, at its most detailed level was a bit of a surprise. Yeah. Um, uh, the lesson for what it said about what they were attempting to say about me in this process, I'm feeling, I'm feeling a little self-conscious now as I'm being so <laughs> self-referential, um, well, was less surprising than um, crystallizing. Yeah. Um, uh, yeah, in, in usable ways. Yeah. As you're talking about this, and I'm imagining clients going through this process, receiving that validation strikes me as something that human beings are hardwired for to mm-hmm. to desire to want whether it's from childhood from the parent from the mother it also occurs to me that that type of feedback especially from family friends peers maybe more so peers and in the workspace is sorely lacking in our in sort of the new media space in the attention economy where we are our attention is mediated by devices where especially during the pandemic there was a real separation and i i can't remember who brought this up to me but as i was watching my daughter on these zoom classes even though we are miles apart from our cohort the appearance is that they're right here and you've got this 
it's an invasion of personal space in some ways, that there's this face. We are never this close to someone. And when you are this close to someone, you've already received a, a huge amount of information from that person about how they relate to you, their feelings about you, and, and vice versa. They know how you feel about them. And so there's been this rent wrenching of personal space and mm. and feedback that this exercise that you're describing seems to really kind of soothe and and I, I'm very engaged and wanted to try and look more into that and mm -hmm. to see more about it. But I'm curious how how you are seeing people, you know, you mentioned um, the pandemic and you mentioned things are pretty strained in, in several different workplaces. How you see people are, I guess, positively and negatively responding to that and what, what they need mm -hmm. in general. And I, and I mean that from your perspective as well as sort of a, an objectionable take. I have been a bit surprised uh, as I speak on January 25th. Is that, do I have the date right today? Today's the 26th. 26th, mm -hmm. um, 2023. Uh, I have been a bit surprised by the degree, to, the frequency with which and degree to which I'm still encountering uh, people in various work settings, organizations, small and large, um, who are wanting, needing a uh, space to uh, name how hard things have been and the ways in which they are still hard Yeah. as a result of pandemic circumstances or what pandemic circumstances have done. Mm. Uh, so um, an implication of that is that I'm, I'm as often encountering... Um, um, Complaints about uh, uh, too much positivity uh, <laughs> too soon yeah. from leaders. Uh, huh. um, I'm not ready, Mike, for somebody to tell me it's over. Uh, it's right. time to get on with it. Right. We're uh, we're uh, we're going to take we're, under, we're about to undertake the biggest project we ever have, and um, it's all systems go. Mm -hmm. um, I like that, and uh, what I'm hearing people say is that's not because I don't believe in the project. It's not because I don't want to be part of this, but um, I'm still trying to figure out how to get my feedback under me. Yes. Uh, I've um, spent the last two years more often afraid than I had ever been over the course of my life. I've confronted um, mortality uh, in ways I never anticipated doing at 27 or 36 yeah. or 49 or 62. Um, and, um, and I saw things in the people I'm working with that um, I cannot, I could not have imagined having seen before, some of which inspired me and some of which disappointed me to mm. no end. And I don't know how to put that, I, I don't know how to just put that behind me. Yeah. Um, so that's been, a, that's been one of the things that has surprised me as a matter of frequency and degree. As much improved, as much as much easier, I don't mean to overstate that, to navigate life during the time of COVID as things have become mm -hmm. by comparison with where we were in March 2020 or 
October 2020, um, those, those circumstances uh, continue to loom large in a lot of people's mm-hmm. lives, in a lot of organizations' lives. And the, our different orientations to those circumstances continue to present challenges. conversation with Nicholas but one of the it occurs to me one of the things that he said was and that in some ways he was very grateful for the pandemic in in what it the changes that it represented as possible and in fact at the beginning when there was real severe restrictions you even saw it reflected in things like city streets that were empty of humanity being mm. taken over by animals and the natural world. And I felt, and he even said this, in some ways that process happened for a lot of people mm. where clearly there was trauma present, but there was also a, a depth and a sense of self-reflection that is uncommon Mm-hmm. It forced everyone in many ways to become introverts, mm-hmm. right? And, and in fact, a lot of the memes that I saw were the introverts were perfectly at home and the extroverts were coming out of their skin. And, and that sense of, of reflection mm-hmm. of what that meant for people, that is a... I don't scarring might not be the right word, but it leaves a mark mm-hmm. that, you know, like if you've had something pressed on your skin for a long time, yeah. it doesn't just bounce back, that that's there. Yeah. And it sounds like that's what you're seeing is that, yeah. that people it, aren't ready to show that yet or to, to, there's still processing that needs to happen. Yes, still processing. Yeah. Indeed. And that was very much, uh, what you described was very much the case for me personally. Mm-hmm. Um, people have asked me, so Mike, was it the pandemic that, um, led you to retire. (laughs) And um, my first response to that is, um, I actually don't consider myself retired or or interested in being retired. Hence my use of the word rewirement. Um, I'm figuring out exactly what's next. And fortunately, I found some meaningful work to do while figuring it out. Mm -hmm. Uh, But apropos the the pandemic circumstances, uh, leading a school community, which is what I was doing uh, in March 2020 and continue doing for another two years, essentially, um, was texting mm. uh, like almost nothing I had ever done before. Well, like nothing I had ever done before. As you may recall, I did do some work at Carolina Friends School over about a two-year period with um, survivors of sexual misconduct. And yeah. that, too, was taxing yeah. um, work. A great privilege in, at the same time. Um, but the, uh, what the taxing nature of the pandemic circumstances did for me, not to me in this case, was um, crystallize my discernment about how I want to spend my time. Um, and... Uh, a choice to continue serving in a school leadership role 
had many compelling aspects to it, mm -hmm. um, even continuing to unpack the pandemic circumstances and what they called for. But um, that uh, opportunity to crystallize that thinking, that my discernment led me to realize um, I actually, uh, though a risk-averse person most of my life in most ways, um, I actually am feeling an appetite or an inclination to take a risk, to try something, to, to do something a bit more adventurous. Mm -hmm. If I had an entrepreneurial gene, if I've had an entrepreneurial gene in my body, um, it was latent for 57 years and um, pandemic circumstances afforded me the opportunity to imagine possibilities that activated it, that mm. brought it to life. Um, well, you, you definitely speak very closely to my experience, mm. or especially early in the pandemic, of coming back to some latent passions and, uh, and drives and motivations. So I, I definitely can, yeah. can identify with that. I'm interested in maybe pivoting the conversation a little bit to the intersection of your coaching practice leadership and your experience as an educator and working with young people which is my passion and mm -hmm. and focus as of late and my perception of things and and what i have gleaned is that the cultural and emotional landscape for for young people these days and i'm thinking particularly mid to late teens through college like mm -hmm. early professionals is quite fraught and and whether or not you're called to attend to that in in your coaching or in your leadership or what you see as potential ways to uh, to cope or help assuage that mm. that issue does that make sense i think so there's a lot going on there's a lot there <laughs> in, the, in your question yeah um i'll just Pick, pick uh, and choose a few things that come to mind yeah. in response. Um, on a um, pessimistic or uh, in the realm of, a partic of particularly acute challenges, mm -hmm. um, I think it's abundantly clear that um, uh, mental health is, um, well, a more uh, acute challenge than it has ever been. Yeah. Um, exacerbated by pandemic circumstances. Um, if I can apply a bit of a hopeful thread to that tapestry um, mm -hmm. without being Pollyanna-ish, maybe uh, heightened attention to mental health widely, broadly, and deeply is actually in the best interest of everyone and a long time coming. Mm -hmm. Again, I don't mean to... Um, diminish in any way my sense of it being the needs being particularly acute in that realm yeah. broadly defined now but there's a lot for a lot of us if not all of us to learn by not just panicking in response to that yeah. um, um treating it treating uh, an urgent call as also an opportunity um to make yeah. ourselves more self-aware relationally aware and available to to one another whether we can provide the resources to be helpful ourselves mm -hmm. or help people, um, including policymakers, yes. uh, create um, yeah. 
more readily available resources. Um, uh, generally, uh, about young people, um, kids with whom I've worked, young families, um, um, growing uh, young people I've been privileged to work with as they've been growing up, I'm pretty darn optimistic, to be honest. That's great to hear. Uh, um, <laughs> I think people are, young people are um, resourceful and resilient. And sometimes what we see as concern, as cause for concern, is them being more discerning than we were. Mm. Them being choosier about um, what they're willing to put up with. Uh um, what kind of work they want to pursue. Um, there's more tunement in many young people, um, those privileged enough to be able to consider this, to the difference between vocation and uh, occupation. Mm -hmm. And well um, that, in the that may, in the long run, serve them and all of us well. Mm -hmm. um, there's more willingness in young people in, in general. I'm generalizing. I realize um, in many young people to um, see life as an um, as it might unfold as an, the opportunity to pursue any number of different experiments, uh, as mm -hmm. opposed to needing to find a job that in a setting that they're going to do for the next 35 years. Yeah. Before retiring and maybe being able to play a little golf between barbecues. Right. Um, uh, so a breaking of paradigms is what I'm hearing. I also. think that's part of what's unfolding. Yeah. Um, um, that's not that's not unfolding um, e easily uh, in ways that make us comfortable, or the us or them, young right. people, comfortable all the time. Right. But maybe unfolding in ways that are um, that are creating possibilities um, that uh, can serve everyone well down the road. I'm pretty hopeful about that. That's nice to hear. And I will say it it also reminds me that I whenever I <laughs> I try to do this at least whenever I feel like I have the solution again we're kind of looking at that coaching space yeah. to to step back and to say no you don't have the the whole picture here and how could you possibly know what young people are going through when you know I mean I grew up in a time where there wasn't digital media and I've been able to to bridge that and so our perspectives are necessarily limited i'm also reminded of what you said before about how in for instance in the coaching conversation the issue that people bring is not always the issue that you end up solving mm -hmm. and that seems particularly germane in this case mm -hmm. and given what you just said is that that young people are they have a lot of resources at their fingertips more than Mm -hmm. humanity has ever experienced mm -hmm. and they're they have the facility they're facile with that mm -hmm. and certainly there is a spectrum of of mental health there and acuity with those tools mm -hmm. and that obviously there are some pitfalls and mm -hmm. to get and but we are in such 
the early days, I mean, only a decade has gone by with this. And we're seeing, obviously, we're seeing some negative repercussions. And obviously, mm -hmm. because that's what the news cycle soaks up, we tend to pay a lot of attention to them. Yeah. But it's helpful, and you're helping me remember that there is, there is a lot of optimism or reason to be optimistic. Yeah. And that's, that's a nice perspective to hear. I suspect that the phrase I use more often than any other in my coaching work and probably in conversation with friends and acquaintances even begins, um, what would it take? Mm -hmm. Because you're right, Bradley, about um, uh, the challenges uh, uh, in front of us yeah. and the degree to which the news media um, elevates those and makes them more readily accessible than that which might make someone like me optimistic. Right. Um, and I would not argue for denying uh, what's in front of us, mm -hmm. the including um, confronting those challenges. And why the heck not? Why the hell right. not respond with a, well, what would it take to do something about that? Absolutely. You um, have two options, don't you? Yes. <laughs> Pessimism and optimism. Yeah. And yeah. Yeah, and an optimism need not be Pollyanna-ish. Right. We not need be Pollyanna-ish about that. Mm -hmm. um, but why would we choose otherwise than to say what would it take for us to do something constructive in response, positive mm -hmm. in response, put a little dent in that problem, or um, or give a little water to that uh, fertilizer to that garden and yeah. give those things a chance to grow, mm -hmm. the best of them, the yeah. most beautiful of them. Why not? Yeah, <laughs> that's how I want to live. <laughs> well, and it sounds like that's exactly what you're addressing with your work is from from a leadership capacity and creating and helping frame conversations that open the space for this kind of thinking mm -hmm. because ultimately that to my mind is the purpose of coaching is to help create multi-perspectival awareness mm -hmm. the ability to take people out of their normal frame of reference using whatever tools you have at your disposal and and give them the opportunity to see problems from different perspectives. Yeah, that's right. You know, I, uh, one way I, I think I've been thinking about this lately is, um, again, through the lens of how I have framed my work, I call mm -hmm. my practice furthering leadership. I think I'm realizing as I uh, continue to work with clients in executive coaching capacities, as I work with um, leadership teams, mm -hmm. uh, whether in repair or in um, moving something forward, um, strategic planning work, for instance, as I do um, a growing amount of work in the realm of mediation, conflict resolution, oh, uh, and find myself at home, <clears throat> excuse me, in that domain, mm -hmm. I think my work is really about furthering, Yeah. period, not just leadership, and, f but for, and furthering of a particular kind, furthering toward or in the interest of a kind of wholeness toward wholeness yeah um and all that that presents all the possibilities in that mm -hmm. repair healing uh creativity um um uh, in capacity augmented capacity of individuals and groups mm -hmm. and organizations mission mission furtherance it's all about furthering mm -hmm. toward wholeness yeah. more fuller wholeness that's a wonderful image and not to denigrate that image, but it brings to mind Ken Kesey in the Merry Pranksters bus. I don't know if you remember uh, what's written on the top of that bus. I don't remember. Further. Oh. I... And obviously they're bent 
uh, their take on that was mm-hmm. more um, psychoactive, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and in in what the the moment the cultural moment was mm-hmm. where they found their expression. But the ideas are the same, mm-hmm. which is that expansive sense of awareness and sense of potential and possibility, especially as you're talking about mediating conflict. Mm-hmm. That's, a, that's something that's been really important to me is this notion of how to help young people in particular hold multiple perspectives mm-hmm. simultaneously and to be able to have dialogue and to be able to argue someone else's point and those mm-hmm. kind of lost arts of dialogos that are so necessary to actually have meaningful conversations and, and to, to get through conflict. After kindness, there may be no more important life skill, it seems to me, than the ability to hold two truths, two truths seemingly Mm. at odds with one another. That's well said. So as our time is is drawing to a close, I usually ask one final question to folks, which is, what is the question that's not being asked in the world right now? And you may have just touched on it, but Mm. what occurs to you? I'm... I'm thinking about how hard it is. I'm thinking about what it takes to hold two truths and um, how hard it is or can be for so many of us under so many circumstances to change our minds. Mm -hmm. So maybe one of the, my first answer for now to your question is, you know, what, um, what would it take for you to change for you, for any of us to change your mind, change our minds about one of our most currently strong-held beliefs. I think that's worthy of consideration by all of us. What would it take? From I'm asking myself now, what would it take, Mike, for you to change your mind about something you strongly believe at this moment? Mm. And is there something that occurs to you that a strongly held belief that you've had that applies here? Or something that you've changed your perspective on? What comes to mind first, I'm going to be thinking about this as I, as I leave today, Bradley, and drive on to my next appointment, but um, what comes to mind first are matters, are things in the, in the political realm. Mm-hmm. Um, what do I not understand nearly, what have I come to believe as a result of my experience um, that stands in the way of my understanding um, the person who stands on the exact opposite end of a political spectrum from from mine yeah um and then what what can i do about that mm-hmm. so maybe there's an immediate follow-up i guess to my question how to find consilience there yeah yeah is the answer do you know do i have to simply to be aware and live with it or is there some way to reconcile yeah yeah do you have any answer or indication not a final answer for, to be sure, but a, but a sense that that's a right, that's a right, one of the right questions for me to be holding, yeah. for many of us to be holding and looking for better and better answers to. Yeah. And certainly that optimistic perspective that you're referring to is the only way that leaves that as an option. Yeah. And again, why not? The alternative is civil war. Yeah. We can do better than that. Yeah. Let's. Mike, thank you very much for your time and your wisdom, and I'm looking forward to hearing more about 
your successes. You're very welcome. Thank you for the engaging conversation, the warm welcome, the chance to think out loud together. Yeah. My pleasure. Thank you for sticking around to the end of the show. I'm pleased to announce the inauguration of a new set of coursework offered by Carolina Commons. Awake and Roar is a program of one-on-one -on -one coaching and self-authoring designed for men and fathers in particular who are dealing with issues around motivation, mental health, and mindset. In addition, we're offering a program for young people and their families called Theater of Self, helping them gain tools in confidence, self-knowledge, and goal-setting. For more information about these programs and how you can get involved, visit our website at carolinacommons.org. Thanks for being here and for supporting the show. Be well.